Today we're going to kick off our summer series from the book of Genesis. And many of you know that the Genesis book of Genesis is all about the beginning of all things, the start of all things. So we're going to spend the summer looking at the key stories from the book of Genesis of the beginnings. And we'll look at how God began all things that exist. But we'll also look at how God began his relationship with man, how he began with us. And we not only want to look at how God began his relationship with us, but how he continues today to draw us to himself. And so we're going to look at stories of old, but we're also going to look at stories of today as well. I'm excited that uh, each week, uh, many of our elders have agreed to share their story with you. And some will be live and some will be on video. But you're going to hear not only the stories of old, Abraham, Noah, stories like that, but you're going to hear stories of some of your leaders here today and how God began his work in them. How God began to continue, began and continues today to draw them uh, to Himself. And so we're going to start off with one of our, our elders. Her name is Jody. And so uh, take a look at this as we begin. My first decision for Christ was really in my early 20s. I had, I had attended a Harvest Crusade with friends and just, you know, of course, really felt moved that day. But didn't, I didn't have a church home and I didn't know how to pursue it. So honestly, it took me a lot of years to uh, to figure out what it was that I needed to do, to read my Bible, to attend a church, to have Christian friends. It was a long process. It wasn't just one thing that happened in my life. Did you grow up in a Christian home? No. No, my house was just, you know, if you're good, you go to heaven. If you're bad, you don't. That was all, pretty much all my parents really knew to teach me. So when did there, when was the change when you realized it wasn't like that? I feel like I always knew that wasn't right. I always felt like there, that wasn't, you know, that wasn't enough. It wasn't enough explanation for me. But I think until my early 20s, never really did anything about it. When you met your husband, was it the same? Was he a Christian? Uh, he same, he had grown up in a in a Christian home, um, but you know it was it, it was ruined kind of by divorce, and so he had not been attending church, but also felt the same way that I did. That knew that he wanted to be close to Christ, just really didn't know how. And uh, it was something that we talked about was you know we're we're not maybe we're not Christians yet, but we know we want to be. So we always knew that we wanted to. We just had a struggle of getting there. And uh, when my husband and I got married, we did try attending Yorba Linda French Church, but it was just very easy to be anonymous there and to not um, get too involved, not have anybody be to be accountable to because, you know, just such a large crowd. Um, so we knew what, that we wanted something different. We just didn't really know what. Friends of ours were telling us to come to their church. They wanted us to come try out their church, but I had been watching this church being built on this weird little triangle of land, and I just kept saying, no, I, I want to try this other church. I'm just waiting for it to open. I'm just waiting for it to open. So when I finally saw the signs at Canyon that they were open, my husband and I came, and of course, that day we found out it was the same church my friends were inviting us to, the same one they were trying to get us to find out. So we really did feel like Christ was really calling us here. Just immediately got... 
signed up for the Alpha program, which they were calling uh, Christianity 101. And it was just a place where you could come and you could ask any kind of question and um, give any kind of feedback and, and nobody made you feel like you were wrong or that you weren't worthy to be um, in the family of Christ, because I think that's a little scary in the beginning when you feel like you don't know your Bible and you don't know exactly what you think everybody else knows. After we started attending and we joined the Alpha group, I then signed up for the MOPS group. And that was really what pulled me into um, serving because I saw Joanne Young and Michelle Banker and I just, I could see the love in their lives and and the difference that they had, and I knew I wanted that. So they really got me started serving. Uh, they they were wonderful to work with, and then I just sort of became a little bit more involved with things here and there. Eventually, then I uh, took over MOPS from, from them and uh, ran it for a couple of years. So just knowing the church and just becoming involved, I moved on to women's ministry and working with Shirley and planning the events and just trying to find out how to make women feel comfortable and to make women feel drawn to the church and really have kind of their own time here too, besides, you know, just with their children or um, with their husbands. So that, that's been really interesting to learn how to do that. Um, I've also recently been on the elder board and um, just learning all kinds of new ways of how to serve other people and um, how to serve our community, how to just help our church um, just keep growing and moving. Any suggestions to anyone who's new to our church? Uh, for, well, for me, it was always about getting involved. I always wanted to um, be in the background and, and become involved. And working alongside somebody else is a great way to build a relationship with them. It, it helps so much to just be side by side, you know, working on something and then you can just chat in between yourselves. You can say things maybe when you're not face to face that, you know, when you're just working side by side that that um, touches other people. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> so each week you're going to hear a story of how God really began to work in somebody's life. Stories from old and stories of today. Genesis really is a book of stories, and it begins with the story of creation, and that's where we're going to start and talk about today. But then it moves on to the story of Adam and Eve, and then Noah and Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And so we're going to cover all those stories as we go through this book of Genesis this summer. And we're going to look at those stories, and from their stories, my hope is that you can begin to understand just how God wants to work in your life like he worked in their lives. Sometimes I think we've moved away from the fact that God is a powerful God. Amen? And He wants to know us on an intimate level. And He wants to share so much with us. And so my hope is that as we look at these stories, we can begin to pick up some of that sense of the closeness and intimacy of God. Now, the author of Genesis was Moses. And if you know the story of Moses, you know that he wasn't alive when the beginning of all things took place. So how in the world did Moses know to write down everything that's in the book of Genesis? The easiest way to say it is this. God simply revealed it to him, what he did on each day of creation. That means that our supernatural God supernaturally revealed it to Moses, everything that he wanted written in this book of Genesis. So whether God actually spoke it to him 
or whether God gave it to him in a vision or whether God did that in both ways, God revealed what was to be written in the book of Genesis. And Moses wrote this book during the time of the Exodus when the Israelites were moving out of Egypt and moving on to the promised land, their new home. And the book was written because God wanted to remind his people then and now of the things that he had done, of who he was, powerful, awesome God. And so that's why it was written. So write this down. First of all, Genesis was written to remind us that God's existence was before creation. Before anything else was made, God was. God is. The first three words of the book of Genesis are in the beginning. But the fourth word is the most important word. In the beginning, God. God existed before anything else. In the beginning, God created. God shaped the heavens and the earth. And at some point in our lives, most all of us ask these questions. How in the world did everything that's here really get here? Where where did it all start? And the first 10 words in the book of Genesis tell us the truth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, all that exists. Before anything else existed, he created what exists. Now, I, like you, I believe in scientific fact. I love scientific fact. But when you're talking to people who are not yet believing in Jesus Christ, they might say, well, when you talk about sin, Pastor, and and you talk about stuff like that, you've got me. Because I know I've done wrong. I know I've done some bad things. I know that I've sinned. You've got me. But when you talk about the Genesis creation account, I've got you. I've got you because Genesis doesn't make sense. And we all know in this world that evolution is a scientific fact. Well, no, it's not. Evolution is not provable. To be a scientific fact, something has to be proved again and again and again. Evolution is just a scientific theory. And with all the teaching of evolution and creation today, a recent Gallup poll released to uh, the American people, it let us know people's views on creation and evolution. And I was shocked. About 47% of Americans hold a strict creationist view that God created the heavens and the earth. I was shocked that the percentage was that high. With all the things I hear in the school systems and and on TV and in our culture about evolution, I was shocked that 47% of Americans say God created the heavens and the earth. The poll released said that 9% of Americans hold to a strict evolutionist view. And that is the idea that there was this some kind of ooze that began and some cells then came together. And then pretty soon a tadpole or a fish popped out and then that tadpole turned into a man. That's an evolutionist kind of a theory. 9% of Americans hold to that strict evolutionist kind of view. But then 44% of Americans hold to a combination of creationist and evolutionist views. Now listen. Although some just don't want to accept it, the truth has always been and always will be. In the beginning, God, Almighty God, created the heavens and the earth. And science, whether people are digging archaeology or studying astronomy, science is proving this truth over and over again. 
Genesis was written to remind us that God not only created all things, but he existed even before creation. And then he did create. Second, write this down. And God's word started creation. This book was written to let us know that it was by his word. Word that he spoke that started creation. At God's spoken word, all things came into being. Look at this. God said, let there be light. And it was so. At his word, it became so. God then said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. And God called that vault sky. And it was so. And then God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place and let dry ground appear. God called that dry ground land and gathered the waters and the gathered waters he called seas. And it was so. And then God said, he spoke again, let the land produce vegetation. And it was so. And then God spoke again and said, let there be lights in the sky. And stars came into being. And it was so. And then God said, let the water teem with living creatures. And let the birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. And it was so. And God spoke again and said, and let the land produce living creatures. And it was so. And God said, let us make mankind in our image. And it was so. The Bible teaches that what God said, when God said it, it became so. When God spoke, it was so. When he said, let there be light, let there be land, it became so. For six days in a row, God spoke and all things were created. So when, when God spoke, what he was envisioning in his mind, when he said, let there be this or that. Whatever he had thought up in his mind, that thing came into being just as he envisioned it. And listen, everything he created, he created out of nothing. Everybody say, wow, <laughs> wow. When you and I create something, we want to make a pot, we take a lump of clay and make a pot, and we think we've done something pretty special. But God, had, God didn't even have any clay to work with. He had nothing. He had to create every ingredient. Creativity for God is speaking something into existence using no existing ingredients. And everything you see in, in creation is an expression of this creative mind of our almighty God. For example, when he said, let there be land, he had already envisioned all of the ingredients that needed to be in land. And when land was created, it included all of the soil and rock and nutrients and moisture, whatever it needed to sustain everything that would come after it. Mankind, animals, vegetation. It had to contain everything that needed to be supported from land. God is a supernatural God. And he spoke supernaturally and creation took place. Now, folks, we live in a scientific age where there are lots of benefits to our scientific age. But what I want to say this morning is don't let anyone ever steal the awe that you and I should have when it comes to God's creation. Sometimes we get so sophisticated and, and look at things in such a scientific way that we can't look at something and go, wow, look at what God has made. This is way beyond awesome. This is way beyond intricate. You know, anybody ever watch the Animal Planet, the Animal Channel? 
And you look at some of those creatures they show on there, you know God's got a sense of humor, amen? <laughs> but you look at some of that and you say, there's got to be a supernatural being that created all of this. And don't ever let science or our culture steal the awe of Almighty God. We're a part of something that is bigger than our daily life. We're a part of something that's bigger than the earth itself. And, you know, if you've traveled across the earth, it's a pretty big place. And yet we belong to a big God, amen? We belong to an eternity. We belong to an eternal God. We have a place prepared for us in heaven to live with our eternal God who's created all of these things we just looked at. Everybody say amen. It's just awesome. <laughs> it's just awesome what we are a part of as followers of Christ. Genesis was written to remind us that God's existence was before all this creation. It was at his spoken word that this all began. But third, write this down, that God's joy was expressed in his creation. When God looked at his creation, he even rejoiced and said, it is good. And when God said it is good, that means something. It means that enjoying material things is not wrong. It's not sinful. There are some Christians that I met that believe that all things material are sinful, that you shouldn't enjoy them, that having some money, having a car, having a house, a family toy, even having a church building is, is wrong, it's sinful. We shouldn't enjoy material things like that. And if you believe that, you'd end up one of two ways. You'd end up either as a Puritan or as a playboy. If you think everything around you is evil, maybe you just take off and try to get away from everything that you possibly could and you'd live as a Puritan. But if you think of everything as evil and you say, well, you might say, well, I'm already corrupted, so I'll just live as a playboy. So when you begin to see that what God made is good, and it's youthful to extend his message and to expand his kingdom. You too can say, it is good. I will use it inside all of his boundaries, but I see it as good. And I'll use it to extend his kingdom. Now, when God got to the end of each day of his creation, he took a minute to step back and he looked at what he's created and his heart was so filled with joy that he said, it is good. And isn't creation good? It is good. God has done a good job. Yes, it's marred by sin, but he's done an awesome job. Genesis was written to remind us that his joy was expressed in creation. And then next, that God's plan was evident in creation. God is a God of planning. God is a God of order. And he created things in a, in a striking, outstanding, awesome kind of order. He's a God of order who had a vision who had a plan before he ever started creating. And here's his plan that we find in Genesis. Day one, God says, I'll create light and then darkness. Day two, I'll create earth's atmosphere. There'll be water above, there'll be water below, there'll be a vault in between, and I'll call that sky. Day three, he created dry land and seas and plants and trees. Day four, sun, moon, stars, seasons, days and years. Day five, sea creatures and birds. Day six, land animals and mankind. And day seven, he rested. It's incredible when you look at this, how organized God's creation is. He didn't make animals. He didn't make mankind before he created the things that they needed to live. Before he created light and food and plants and water and all of that. God is incredibly organized. The definition of creation is this. 
It's an orderly unfolding of the mind and the plan of God. In creation, there was an orderly progression. Fish after oceans would have been traumatic the other way, right? Koala bears after eucalyptus trees. They had to have something to climb, something to eat. There was a specific plan when it comes to creation. So listen, I want to say this to you. If God was that specific in creating all things so that all things fulfilled a specific purpose, so that other things could live and function, don't you think that God's got a specific plan for you? For your life. You are not an accident. God has known you before your birth. He knows, the Bible says he can count the number of hairs on our head, and that kind of scares me. But, and he knows our name, like he knows the names of the stars. And he's got a plan for you. God says this, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope, plans to give you a future. God had a plan for the beginning of all things. God had a plan for the sustaining of all things. And he has a plan for all things, including you, your life. Genesis was written to remind us that God's plan was evident in the creation account. Last, God's rest came after creation. Did God have to rest at the end of creation? I mean, was God just tired? Was he just tuckered? I mean, <laughs> no, God, God wasn't tired. But the Bible says this about God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. God doesn't get tired. But the Bible says he rested from his work. Why was that? First of all, it's not on your outline, but just write this down. Because he, he was finished. He rested because he was done. The Bible says God's word was finished when he made the world. His creation, his work was not some vast, unfinished symphony. No, God finished what he started out to do. You and I are not works in progress. The universe is not a work in progress. The universe is a finished work of creation. Yes, it is marred by sin, but it is a finished work. And you and I are not just like the wooden frame of a house. No, we are a finished work of God. Because of sin, we need restoration. But we are a fully finished, functioning house that God has made. In fact, we're kind of like a beautiful mansion. Designed by the greatest architect of all time. The Bible says our bodies are wonderfully made by the greatest architect of all time. But we do need to have some things Renewed, revived, touched up, made new due to the damage that our sin has done. God rested because his perfect creation was fully finished. Second, he rested because he knew that we would need rest. God rested as an example for you and me to follow. The Bible says this. God says... Work and get everything done during six days each week. But the seventh day is a day of rest to honor the Lord your God. The reason is that in six days God made everything. The sky, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. On the seventh day, he rested. 
He rested to give us an example of what to do at the end of our work day. What to do at the end of our work week. Because he knew that we're not God. He knew that we were human, that we were mankind, created in his image, but not fully like him. And so he knew that we needed rest. Now, some of you are not resting one day out of seven. Anybody want to confess to that? (laughs) We work hard in our culture. Now, how you rest is between you and the Lord. But you do need rest or you will break down. And I can testify to that. Couple first couple years we started the church, I was working 80 hours a week, and I about went nuts. I about lost it. I began to break down. You need to take rest. You need rest physically, emotionally. You need a mental break. You need a spiritual recharge. Now, for most of us, that day of rest is going to be this day on the day of worship. And that's really the best day because you're already at church. You're already focusing on the the Lord. You can get spiritually recharged and renewed. But for some people like me and Pastor David and Pastor Carlos and and Pastor Pam and and every other pastor and and person on staff, we got to choose another day. This isn't a day off for us. This isn't a day of rest for us. And so every one of your pastors, I want you to know, we're required to take a day off and take a day of rest that we call our Sabbath. Because without it, we know we'll break down. And will be no good for any one of you in need. So no matter how important the task is, God's work is never done. It's never finished. Pastors can just keep going and going and going. But no no matter how important the task, God gave us the example to work and then rest. Or we will break down. God rested as an example for you and me. The Bible says this. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters into God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. What is this Sabbath rest for the people of God that he's talking about there? Well, it is resting from your work, but it's also resting in the work that God has done in you and for you through Jesus Christ. It's taking time to be with him so that he can restore you. And I love the way Jesus says, he says it to all of us. He says, come, you who are weary, come to me and you will find, say it with me, rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and you will find rest. He says, I will give you rest. God is willing to give you rest. And those who stop their labors, those who spend time with Jesus, find and experience a rest that other people don't experience. It's a rest beyond just taking a few days off and going to the river and coming back. It's a rest beyond just getting away. It's a rest that only God can give you. It's a rest that renews. It's a rest that restores. It's a rest that rejuvenates and re-energizes you. So after God worked, He rested. And if we want to follow the example of God, you two need to rest. And if you rest in him and with him, you will experience a renewal that nobody else can give you. The Bible says God has begun a good work in you. And as you follow his example, he says, I will complete it. Amen. God is going to complete his work in you. Folks, our God is the God of all creation, including you. And our creative God 
has a creative plan for your life. He has something special that he wants you to do in this life. Using just the way you are, the way he's made you, the way he's gifted you. And so if you begin to rest in him as your savior. And you begin to rest from your work. And you begin to spend time with him. In his own time and way, he will reveal his plan for your life to you. He won't keep it a secret. He wants you to know what he created you to do. Amen? That's our creative God. And he's got a wonderful creative plan for you. Let's pray together. As I close, would you just pray this prayer? Pray it along in your heart with me. Father... Help me to never lose the awe of you. The God of all creation. Help me more often to be still. To be in relationship with you. To spend time resting with you. The creator of my life. And all things that exist. Father, we live in a culture that values running and moving and high involvement and being engaged at all times. But God called us to this thing of resting in you. You've called us to this thing of following you and this plan that you've given to each one of us. So Father, Today, help us to leave this place and follow you, the God of all creation, creator of our lives, and help us to follow your plan. As we continue this series and we look at how you worked in other people's lives, Lord, help us just to open up to you more and more and say, God, I'm your servant. Here I am. Work in me. Work through me. You created me, I am yours. We pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you.